0: Men, we'll go ahead and grab a seat. As you do, uh, go ahead and grab a Bible if you have one with you. That's awesome. If you don't, we got one you can use. You can uh, find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, you can take that home with you. That's our gift to you. So glad that you're here. Uh, so glad to be worshiping in this place and uh, together. Thankful for the team and leading us so well. Um, Todd uh, known Todd for several years, and just so thankful that him coming up and joining us from Chicago so so grateful for uh, for that we're going to turn our attention to god's Word. I love um, kind of going into this with uh, just in light of what we just saying we're going to set our hearts on the Lord here as we desire to hear from him each week we open up. Uh, the scriptures, and we ask the question, God, what would you have to say to us uh, today, trusting and knowing that his spirit leads through his word and communicates um, to us through it. And um, this is what we like to do here at uh, City on a Hill. We, We usually go through um, books or passages and uh, kind of verse by verse, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, and we are walking through uh, the book of Acts, and it's going to take us um, the better part of a year, not a full year, but we'll, we'll be in this for several months um, ahead, and, and uh, you, you picked a good day where we're right. things are just kind of getting rolling, getting started. Uh, the, the story of Acts, we're calling the series Unstoppable uh, because it speaks of and shares of uh, the beginning of the church of Christ. Uh, Jesus was with his followers with his disciples and he gave them a mission and a call as he left. And he said to be his witnesses uh, throughout the world. And uh, these men and women uh, together uh, took this very seriously and they took up this mantle of of sharing with him. And so we've already seen in Acts, the Holy Spirit has come, uh, the church has begun. And then if you were with us last week, we saw this just incredible miracle that happened. Um, Something kind of out of the ordinary, something we don't see every day. There was a man uh, that had been lame from birth uh, who we learn later at the end of chapter four, he's more than 40 years old. Uh, every day, he was carried to the temple, uh, sat down by the beautiful gate, and he was well-known by the people there. He had um, spent most of his life there in front of uh, that gate asking for help. Uh, this day, though, that we read about last week, Peter and John, uh, two of Peter's followers, or Jesus' followers, rather, were, were going to the temple. They were, it was the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, heading to the temple to pray. They see this man, and everything in this, this man's life changes. Um, he, uh, upon seeing him, Peter said to him, he says, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I'm gonna give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we saw that he was miraculously healed in that moment. And it says that his ankles and feet were made strong and he was able to leap up and he began to sing and to praise and to give glory to God, right? He's, he's jumping and running around that temple. And I, you know... I often like to just kind of put myself there and sort of think about what it would have been like, you know, as um, it says that he was just over 40, I'm approaching 40 myself, it's getting like, I can see it, it's, it's right there on the horizon, and um, I know some of you still think that I'm, you know, way younger than that, but um, I, I am, okay, my body tells me it all the time, I can't do the things that I used to do, I'm not as agile as I'd like to be or think I am so many times, you know, I go to do something, and, and, um, and so I'm feeling it, and I know I've heard from many of you that that just continues, that trend doesn't stop, right? And so my question is, is yeah, did he get sort of um, 20, uh, 20-year-old legs and ankles, or did he get, um, you know, sort of 40-year-old legs and ankles? My guess is, and we're going to see that it was, he, he, he was sort of perfect health, right? He probably got 20-year-old legs, and so he's using those things, and he's jumping, and he's running, and he is praising God. Well, what comes as a result of it is what we're gonna see in the rest of this chapter and, and next week we're gonna see it um, continued on. But it begins, it begins, it sort of starts this journey together um, and, and the church just kind of takes off from here. It's already been exploding, but this just kind of takes it to a whole nother level because of the testimony of this man, what had been done. See, they were, he was well known. And, and, and there in the presence of all the people there at that, at that, uh, at that temple, God uses this to point people toward His working and, and, and His self, and you know what? One of the things that I think we have the opportunity to do is, um, you know, so many times we can see and sense, or maybe know, recognize God's working in our life, and if we're not careful, um, I think we're we're, we're t- we have a tendency to let some of those things pass by, right, and to um, let those things sort of go. And what Peter does is I think instructional for all of us and to take this moment of God's clear working in the situation, right? You can't mistake that this was God who did it, but he wanted to make sure everybody watching, everybody seeing also knew that it was God's hand upon this man. It was Jesus Christ who healed this man. And so he points the attention toward Jesus. So that's what we're calling our sermon this morning is pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, and I think what we're going to see is, is the response that Peter had is a similar response that we can have to God's working in our own life, that we would be quick to kind of point the, point the direction, kind of take the, the attention off of us, sort of the, the spotlight off of us, and that we would point toward Jesus to make it very clear where Jesus has worked in our life, where Jesus is at work in our situations, where we can see Jesus there. And so... Peter is so quick to do this. He does this so well. And so we're gonna kind of break down the way that he does this. I think there's um, got six, uh, six points, six ways that we see the way that, G- that Peter points to Jesus this morning. And I, it's so helpful for us to think about that in our own life. So before we go any further, let me just ask that God would uh, teach us now as we uh, turn our attention to his word. Uh, God, we thank you for, for your word God, we thank you for the time that we've already been able to share together, um, responding, singing, God, lifting up your name, the name of Jesus. And I just pray that as we turn our attention to your word, that we would hear from you, God, that you would be shaping and teaching us. Lord, that we would hear what it is that you have for us this morning. We know that you've given us your word for direction, God, for... um, instruction in our life, um, but Lord, more than that, you've also given us your word that we would know you better, and so I just pray that we would know you better this morning as a result of studying it together, and so, Spirit, teach us now. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen, amen. Well, here's what I'm going to do. This is kind of a long passage, so rather than reading all the way through it, we're just going to kind of walk our way through it bit by bit, okay? So we're going to begin in verse 11. I'm in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. Verse 11, and it says this, Well he, he being the man that was just healed, uh, the layman, uh, well, he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk all right, here's the first way that, Jesus, that Peter points to Jesus is we're gonna see he's, he's, he's deflecting here, okay? There's deflection. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down, deflection. Peter is making sure the attention is not on him, not on John, but going straight to Jesus, right? And he does it by asking this question, like men of Israel, <laughs> why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? My translation is you think we did this? Like this man is walking now. He hasn't been able to walk since he was born. And you think that we, like me, Peter, and this guy John, like we're just two dudes. You think we did this? And he's like, No, it wasn't us. It was it was by something way greater, much much greater power than than we could ever have. And he is making sure that the um, the attention is not on him. And I think many of us in this spot, if we were to kind of place ourselves, like live in the text and be there. Uh, hopefully, we would have the same speed with which we would kind of point the attention all right off of us uh, toward Jesus. But how many times does things happen in our own life and we fail to acknowledge the fact that God is at work in these? I mean, God is working. And there are so many times that God is actively at work in the situations and times of our life. And if we're not careful, I think we can sometimes take the credit or sort of acknowledge and think that it's us <laughs> who did it. Or who brought it on? Man, I was really, I worked hard there, right? I was super faithful there. Or I really endured through that. And we kind of look back and kind of take some of these things on ourselves. But what we see is Peter here is so clearly responding from a posture of humility. He knows it's not him, right? It's not him. And I think how we, that's how we need to respond to the way that God works in our, our life. Before we get any further, we need to be ready to deflect The good things that God is doing, and make sure that He's getting the credit, and we are not receiving the credit and glory for that. How do we do that? I think it comes from a posture of humility in our lives, a posture of humility, understanding our limited ability to affect the situation that we live in. I mean, if you really think about it, we have very little ability (laughs) to affect certain outcomes in our life. There are there. few things that we can really control. I wish, I mean, all of us probably wish that we could control a whole lot more and we, we just can't, the reality is we can't. And so there's a, a, a reality of the humility that we need to have in our lives. If you have been redeemed, and saved by God and he has worked powerfully in your life, we of all people should be most humble. Like who are we that he would do that? And I think what lives upstream of humility is, is thanksgiving in our lives. I think we need to have, how do we get to humility? It's with greater thankfulness. It's when we look and we see, and we're like, God, I didn't do that. You did that. God, thank you. Thank you for the way that you worked here. Thank you for doing that. Then when the blessing comes along, or when this situation comes along, and we're so quick to realize, I didn't do this. This was God. Let me point the attention, point the direction toward Jesus. That's how Peter did. See, Peter, Peter was so thankful. He knew that he was, um, of all the disciples, we constantly see him, right, putting his foot in his mouth, sort of stepping out, kind of being um, a little brash, little, a little quick to the, um, to the punch on just anything that was happening. And so he had, by this point, there was a growing humility, and I think it comes from a place of thanksgiving, thankfulness. He knew what Jesus had done in his own life. And so he deflects. He's like, listen, this is nothing, nothing that we did. It was all Jesus that is doing it. So when we have the opportunity, would we deflect and point toward the working of Jesus? Let's go on, let's continue, with, with, see what happens next. Verse 13, it says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. You see here, uh, Peter is preaching and kind of teaching in such a way that's going to lead to conviction. It's the second element of his pointing to Jesus. It's conviction, right? There is great boldness here in what Peter is saying. He's not cutting corners. He's He's not sort of mincing words and kind of softening this. He is like, listen, this is what happened. He kind of points to and says, listen, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's like, let's just be clear who we're talking about here. We're talking about our God. This is how God was known, right? The God of the Bible appeared to Abraham, gave a covenant to Abraham. He said, I'm going to call you out, make you into a chosen people, a special people. I have purpose for you. I'm going to lead you to a land, and I am going to bless the world through you. This promise was repeated to his son Isaac and repeated again to his son Jacob. And so, God was known to the Jewish people as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their fathers, right? This is the God for generations that has been faithful to his people. But look, he's now worked in our time. He's done this in our day just weeks ago, months ago, right? He glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But Peter's like, this is what you did. You denied the holy and righteous one. This was God's son. This was God himself. You denied him and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. What's going on? What's, what's Peter talking about here? Well, if you just kind of like refresh our memories, or maybe you don't know, um, Peter, or Jesus, when he was on trial, was handed over to sort of the local ruler, leader, uh, who was Pilate. And Pilate, upon uh, examining him, sort of like acquitted him. He's like, I don't, there's, no, there's nothing wrong. Like this man hasn't done anything worthy of uh, punishment, certainly not worthy of death. And so he sort of washed his hands of him and said, you know, I, I, I would just as soon let him go. But the crowd has so grown in their excitement and, and kind, of, um, you know, uh, kind of anger over the situation. And so he didn't want to upset them. So he kind of took Jesus before the crowd and he sort of put him out. And there was a tradition to release a prisoner. And so he says, hey, do you want me to release to you this Jesus of Nazareth. Or I've got this other guy, Barabbas, who is a murderer. Like, like he's murdered people. And he kind of puts him out before the people and the people are so stirred up and they're like, give us Barabbas, right? We want the murderer, let him go free. Let him just kind of go and do whatever he wants. And then what do you want us to do with Jesus? They're like, crucify him, hang him on a cross, kill him. This is what the people of Jerusalem called for with Jesus. They denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised up from the dead. See, Peter is speaking in such a way that it leads to conviction in the life of the people, in the hearts of those who hear. And so many times we need to be convicted in the things of our own hearts, right? See, there's a difference. I always like to point out, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation comes from the enemy, leads to destruction. It leads to uh, a lack of growth, lack of life. It leads to despair. Conviction comes from the spirit and leads to repentance, which leads to life. And what Peter is doing here is he is speaking boldly and plainly to the people and pointing out the error of their ways, right? The sin that they've chosen, which is going to lead to conviction. How do we know it's going to lead to conviction? Well, um, in just like another page, it's going to say that uh, verse 4 of chapter 4, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. All right, that's kind of how they counted households in the day. It's not that they weren't counting the men and, or the women and children. They certainly were, but it was, it was just their way of kind of counting households, so to speak. And so you have uh, the number growing from uh, 3,000, which we've already seen, to now it's up to 5,000 households. So you think you add all the women and children that are responding to Jesus, and you have thousands of people that are responding to it. So at this moment, what they're hearing is they're, they're hearing, you betrayed the author of life, and you handed him over and for exchange for a murderer. You did this. You killed the Son of God. And there's conviction that is taking root in their hearts. See, we need conviction. This morning, maybe you need conviction. We do the same exact thing all the time. What do I mean? I mean that we take and we exchange the good things of God for the lesser and destructive things of the world. All the time, we are taking a murderer in exchange for the author of life. They had the place, the, 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 the opportunity to receive Jesus and to release Jesus, and instead they had him killed and they had released to them a murderer. How many times do we do this, right? How foolish is this to take the good things of God and exchange it for something lesser and destructive in our life? Yet this is what we do. And so this was bringing conviction in their hearts. They recognized and they saw, yes, I did that. Yes, I do this. I wonder even this morning, do we need to be convicted of some of the ways that we're doing that even now? Some of you, you know well, the power of the Spirit's conviction in our life. Some of you can remember or recall a time when you first came to Jesus. You first put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and the conviction of the Spirit was heavy upon you. You recognized your need for a Savior and your wickedness of your heart. your running away from Him and you responded and repented toward Him. Would that same conviction still play out in our lives? Listen, we never move on from the conviction of the Spirit. Why? because there's still sin that remains. It's such a good question to ask ourselves, what sin still remains? Spirit, what sin still remains? God, what would you still root out of me? What is, am I still hanging on to, God, how am I still exchanging the good things that you have for me, for the lies and the destruction that the world offers? So many times we make the same stupid exchange. Kids, that's the only time you can use stupid, right? Your pastor just used stupid. It is stupid, right? Why? It's a bad deal. It's not a good trade. It's a terrible, terrible exchange, and yet we do it over and over again. Would we feel that conviction from the Spirit? What am I doing? Why would I do that? That's wrong. I shouldn't do that anymore. I need to stop. This is what Peter is pointing to. He's pointing to the conviction that comes through Jesus Christ. A great example or sort of picture of conviction in the, in the uh, Bible, in the Old Testament, we read the story of David, um, and he sinned uh, against um, really the whole country, but particularly against one, one family, one woman he um, took and slept with, uh, Bathsheba, neighboring uh, woman. Uh, his, her husband was off at war, and to try and cover it up, he brought his husband, her husband, home and tried to get them to sleep together. So because she had become pregnant, and he wanted to cover that up. When he didn't, he sent David sent um, Uriah back to uh, the battle. Uh, to be killed. Um, he put him on the front line and had the troops uh, withdraw. And Nathan, one of the prophets, comes and he tells this parable. He said, listen, he said, I want to tell you a story. There's a rich man who had many sheep and had everything he needed. And, and he stole and took from um, a lesser uh, farmer and, and took that, that one's sheep um, and, 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 and what should be done to this man? And David got really indignant and upset, and he's like, who would do such a thing? Like, that is unjust, that's not right. We need to uh, enact justice here in this situation, and Nathan says, you are that man. And you see the conviction that came over David, and he recognized in that moment the, the, the destruction of his sin. And so many of the Psalms are his, his repentance, Psalm 51, repenting of that sin, this conviction that fell over him. Listen, would there be not one person that's within the sound of my voice, whether that's here in the room or online, that we would be so far from the conviction of the spirit in our life. Listen, there's still sin that we hold on to. There are still things that remains. And so Peter is pointing right directly toward it and he is bringing conviction from the spirit. Listen, let's be clear. The spirit is the one that convicts, but sometimes he uses people, he uses situations to speak to and point to situations that would bring the conviction from the spirit. But it always leads to life. We're going to see where it goes from here. It doesn't stop there. That's not where it ends. Remember, I said I have a few more points, okay? So number three, uh, we're going to see, you can write this down if you're taking notes, recognition. He moves from conviction to recognition. He wants to be clear that they understand what it is that has happened and who it is that is work here in this situation, right? They want to know who healed this man. And he says, verse 16, in his name, by the faith in his name, what's his name? Jesus in the name of Jesus has made this man strong who you see and know in the faith that is through. Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It was Jesus who healed him. Verse 17, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the all prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Recognition. What is it recognition of? Well, it, it first is recognition of who Jesus is, right? It says, holy, righteous one, author of life. At this moment, Peter is recognizing Jesus, not just as a man who, grew, who was born in uh, Bethlehem, who grew um, up in Nazareth, who traveled around Galilee, but rather, he's saying, No, this is this Jesus of Nazareth is actually the holy and righteous one. He's the Son of God. He's the author of life. He was present there when creation, when the foundations of the world were being laid. He was there. He was present. He was active. He was working. And this is the same Jesus who just healed this man in front of you, right? He's given him perfect health in the presence of you all. This is the Jesus. He's like, You need to recognize him as such. You need to recognize him as. Creator, you need to recognize him as king. Right? You know, you know now, brothers, that I know you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. They didn't realize who it was. And he's like, I I, I recognize that. You didn't fully understand or maybe know who it was that you were killing. But listen, by what God foretold, by the mouth of his prophets, this Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. God, before the foundations of the earth, knew this was the plan that he had written into. He knew that this day was coming, and so God is still at work in the death of Jesus Christ. In fact, he's taking what is the worst thing that's ever happened, the killing of his son, and turning it into the greatest thing that has ever happened, grace provided to, offered to the entire world through the working of Jesus Christ. This is what is happening here. But what he's calling the people to is to recognize him as such. It's not just enough to know this. The question is, do you recognize him as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords? I would ask you the same question today. Is Jesus, he is the Lord of lords, he is the king of kings, is he the Lord of your life? See, we love our freedom, right? America. Go USA. We love freedom here. And we love, uh, you know, flying that flag and, and, and waving that and, and sort of claiming the rights that we have, all of us. And it doesn't matter what right, I mean, there's, there's going to be rights that you're going to hang on to, right? We love that. And that's, that's okay. That's not that's, that's necessarily wrong. But we don't live in the same sort of society and, and, and culture that, that they lived in this day. This point would have been much more attainable for them to understand that Jesus is the true king, right? They're living under the reign and rule of Caesar. They're living under this Roman authority. So we don't live in a country that is ruled by a king. But today there are. There's still some, king, um, some kingdoms in place. I've actually traveled to and spent quite a bit of time in one of them. Um, one of the few true kingdom monarchies still um, in existence today is actually in the country of Aswadi. It used to be the country of Swaziland. They changed the name, I guess rebranded their country um, a couple years ago. I didn't know you could do that. Um, but they're now Swati, and um, it's a true kingdom. It's a monarchy. And so the king is born, and he is, uh, that's hereditary, like kind of passed on through generations. And in Aswati, in, in they have a saying there, um, and uh, it, is, it, it translates to, it is good to be king. It's good to be king because the king lives large, right? He, he is in control what he says goes. I mean, there's actually not really land ownership. You sort of get uh, kind of awarded and can use the land. Ultimately, everything sort of belongs to the kingdom and and ultimately to the king. Um, And really, when I started hearing about this king, I was like, man, this king is not a great king, right? And I was kind of upset or or, uh, just discouraged by him. But then I started hearing more about the system and it's not totally his fault, like it is, I, I mean, he's king, he could kind of change the system, but he's kind of insulated and protected from some of the stuff, like the people around him aren't letting him know the shape and, and state of his country. It's, it's actually really sad, I mean, it's one of the most AIDS, um, HIV-prevalent countries in the world, um, there's like 1.3 million, it's dying, I mean, there's, there, if, if nothing changes, the trajectory over time is going to... Um, Die out. There's uh, extreme poverty and um, unemployment and um, hunger, and um, it's it's just a um, a tough place. And um, the king doesn't see or know all of that. Uh, How do I know that? Well, one time we were there, and they were actually constructing um, a new road. And uh, the story, or they said, like you know, the reason they're building this road and kind of redoing this road is in a couple months the king is going to travel from this part of the country to this part of the country, and they want to make sure that he has a smooth road the whole way right? So he doesn't even feel the bumps. <laughs> he, doesn't even, he doesn't even know and understand. They're, they're redoing the road just so the king can kind of drive across it and feel like everything is in good shape and, 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 and doing well. I'm not here to knock on him or uh, take shots at him, but just to say that, hey, he's an earthly king. Earthly kings are for, at some level, their good, their pleasure We do not serve a king like that. Jesus is the true king, and he is a good king. He loves his people. He takes care of his people. He is not harsh toward those whom he rules. He is good to all. He is the king of kings over all things. And what Peter is trying to point, his, driving his attention to is, listen, It's by this name, the name of Jesus, that he was healed and he is the fulfillment of the prophets for centuries which has been foretold. This is Jesus, he is the king. And so my question for you would be, when you have opportunity, do you point for others? Do you try and point that others would make him king of their life? It starts by you making him king in your life. He is king. The question is, do you recognize him as king in that way? Who's on the throne in your heart? Who's ruling and reigning in your world? Is it you? Is it somebody else? Or is it Jesus, the true king? There's a recognition that comes, but it doesn't just stop there. We see he calls them toward response. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We're gonna call this contrition, contrition, I like this word contrition. I think it speaks to the attitude of the heart. Repentance is the action of the heart. Contrition leads to repentance. The attitude leads to the action. And Peter here, again, not mincing words, says repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Every time that we see repentance in scripture, it kind of paints this picture for us. It helps us to understand what repentance exactly is, and it's this. Repentance is, I'm going this direction. When I repent, I stop, I turn around, and I go back this direction, all right? So it's kind of all of that is kind of tied up in repentance. I'm going this direction, I stop, I turn around, and I go back. And what he's calling them to is this this action. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. He's calling them to recognize that they are in sin, that they have killed Jesus, that they need a savior, and that their hearts are wicked. He's calling them to recognize and understand their need of a savior. Listen, the reality is this. We need to know this, and we've said it before, and it's not original to us, but we aren't good people who sometimes do bad things. I think that's the narrative that's being told today. We're good people. Sometimes we do bad things, right? What scripture would say is that we are born in wickedness and our hearts are deceitful above all things. We are in need of repentance. We have to stop. We have to turn around. We have to go back. And I love how quickly Peter gets to this. Remember, we were just talking about conviction. Like you killed the author of life. You exchanged a murderer for the author of life. But now he's speaking to the forgiveness that comes through the work of Jesus Christ. He's calling them to repent. Why? So that they can be forgiven. This picture is so good. Underline this verse, and you can keep going and do the next one. If it's, if it's, um, if it's your journal or maybe you write in your Bible, do that, or reach over and do it for your neighbor. Um, that's fine too. But this is, this is good for us to know and see. I love this picture. It says, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. I don't know that I always understood the picture for this, but I, I, I understood more um, kind of digging into this a little bit. I didn't know, but, but the ink that they used in the day didn't have some of the same chemicals, the acids that our ink has today. Just hypothetically speaking, if your three-year-old were to find a Sharpie, hypothetically, right? If your three-year-old boy found a Sharpie and were to color all over the wall... That doesn't come out very easily, right? It seeps into the wall, hypothetically speaking, right? Actually, no, it's not hypothetical at all. Our son is so destructive right now. Can I just like just, just can I just acknowledge this? Um, we have four girls. Our youngest is a boy, and uh, many of you have said, "Oh, just wait, that boy's going to be different. You're going to see that." They're, and like. Uh, I believe you, okay? He's very different, and he has actually been, there's a, a, a full-on ban from scissors for him. He has now um, taken scissors. The other day, he took scissors, and he cut the edge of our uh, comforter, like, on our bed. It's just sitting there. There's, like, a hole in our comforter. We're like, we don't know what to do with this. We're like, what are you... What are you doing? Like, why would you destroy our comforter? And so, Bree's so distraught over this. Like, we can't figure out what to do. I think we're going to try and patch it or do something. But it's like, he just, so he cannot even touch scissors. Like, don't even look at them, bud. Like, you're, 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 maybe when you're four, okay? Not when you're three, you can't touch scissors. So, he has a strict no scissors rule. But he's got a couple times, he's gotten the marker, he's gotten the thing, he'll kind of color on something, draw on something. That ink isn't coming out. Magic erasers, other things. If you've got some tricks, I mean, tricks, I'm all ears. Like I've gotten on Google, I've tried to figure it out, but you know, there's, there's only so many things you can do. The ink they used was not like this, all right? It says that your sins may be blotted out. That's a picture of the ink. The ink actually lived on the surface of the paper. It didn't seep in, it wasn't there. So when it came for the papyrus or whatever, you know, kind of writing surface, they could actually take like a wet rag and wash it off. And the ink would just come up and come off it didn't it didn't soak in the same way let's be clear what he's saying here he's saying that you can't blot out your own sins right there's no wet rag that you have access to to do it in the same way that i can't get the sharpie off of our wall you can't get the sin out of your heart but rather jesus through the repentance of people when you turn back your sins may be blotted out the blood of jesus can wipe away and blot out your sin, all right? So the conviction leads to repentance. That's the place that conviction always leads to. So it's not condemnation. He's not wagging his finger, kind of yelling at the people. He's saying, no, 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 recognize your need for a savior and repent and understand that Christ is good. Jesus is forgiving and he wants to take away your sins and to forgive you and to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. He wants to blot away your sin. This is the call that He's giving to all the people. And it's a picture of the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. There's many, many verses we could turn to. I'd love to just give you two, hopefully, familiar ones. If you haven't committed these to memory, do it. 1 John 1 9. It says this if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is so good. When we confess, he's faithful, he's just, and he forgives us our sins. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When we repent, when we respond, there's grace that Jesus Christ offers. It begins in acknowledging and understanding Conviction, right? I have sinned. I put him on the cross. I did this. And then I respond in repentance, turning back, acknowledging that I have sinned that needs to be blotted out. And there's one savior, his name is Jesus, and he's the one who can do that in my life. It doesn't stop there, though. This is the goodness of God at work. Look at verse 20. It speaks not just of contrition and repentance, but it speaks of regeneration Verse 20 is this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He says that your sins will be blotted out and that there will be times of refreshing that will come in the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. Listen, we need, we need refreshing. And maybe some of you have like a friend that does this for you, um, you know, on some on kind of a more basic human level. I've got a couple of close friends. Every time I'm with them, I'm like, I can't wait to be with them because it's just so refreshing. I always walk away encouraged, laugh a lot, right? I look forward to those times. Walk away encouraged. It's never a drain to be together. It's encouragement. See, this is how it should be with us and the Lord. Right? There should be times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. This is the invitation of Jesus Christ. And what I would just like to say to you today, some of you might say, well, I don't feel refreshed by the Lord. I never feel times of refreshing with the Lord. Lovingly, what I would say to you is this is something that you are going to want to examine. Right? Would this be kind of like the check engine light on your dashboard If you don't feel refreshed by the Lord, then maybe something needs to be sort of dug into. And I don't know exactly, I can't like tell you right now what that exact thing is, but I'm just telling you that the the check engine light is on and you need to figure that out. The check engine light currently is on in my car. Actually, no, I think it's off at the moment, but it it probably is coming back on. I shared a couple weeks ago that uh, my fuel tank had like some holes in it, which is never good. You don't want to get out of the car and have gas everywhere, which is what I did. And... um, God protected me, got there, got to and from, it was okay. So we got it there, but then that replaced. Ever since then, the check engine light will come on sometimes, and I have, I'm like too, um, I don't know if I'm too cheap or just too, like I don't wanna take it somewhere and get it like inspected. I wanna know what it is first and then kind of figure it out, and then I'll take it somewhere and get it inspected. But I have this, um, this device I got from Amazon that you plug in and it kind of gives you the readout, right? And so you just punch the, com- the number into Google and it'll tell you. And so the, the thing that's wrong with my car right now Is it's the same problem if you've ever had the check engine light come on if you like forget to screw on your gas cap, you know, sometimes that check engine light comes on. That's a really easy check engine light to deal with, right? Because you just put that gas cap back on and it goes away. And so it's the same thing that's the same number is what's kind of coming up. So I think it's the fuel tank. Like sometimes when I fill up or when it goes down, it's like, I can't figure it out. But it's not big enough for me to investigate. I'm still just kind of driving and hoping that I'm not doing damage. So if you know more about cars than I do, let's talk and, and figure out what to, what to do with this thing. But that check engine light is there to draw your attention to something that needs some attention. So at some point, if this continues, I'm going to have to deal with it. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that when it says this, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. If you don't feel refreshment, times of refreshment from the Lord, then something is probably off. The check engine light on your dashboard is going off. And it might be something as simple as, you just need to spend a little more time with him, right? You're like, man, I spent five minutes this morning. I just didn't feel refreshed from the Lord. You might want to spend a little bit more time with him. It might be the place to start. It might be something as simple as that, like screw that gas cap back on, and you're going to be you're going to be in good place. But maybe it's just it's time with the Lord. Or where are you in God's word? How much time are you spending talking to Him in in prayer? Who who? What other? Uh, noise do you have in your life? I mean, is, is just the news on all the time? Is the, the social feeds just kind of always consuming? Like, is there just so much noise that you can't hear from the Lord? You're not, you're not hearing this, His voice and, and being able to respond to His refreshing? Whatever it might be, there might be a number of causes for it. I'm just saying today, if you don't feel times of refreshing from the Lord, there might be something that you need to dig into and figure out why. Because it leads to, in our life, this conviction leads to regeneration. God is making new, right? He's restoring, he's refreshing, he's bringing all of this into order. It says, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things by which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The kingdom of God is here. He is at work in our lives, in our situations, and he's restoring and bringing, refreshing in the midst of it. I think of 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, therefore, if anyone anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. See, we need this regeneration, this restoring, this times of refreshing. This is good for us right now. I already know what, Advent is coming up. It's like right around the corner. I already know what we're calling our Advent series. Sometimes we just call it Advent. But this year, we're gonna call it um, The Weary World Rejoices. I think it's such a timely sort of picture for us that when the presence of the Lord comes near, the weary world rejoices. Why? Because there are times of refreshing. God is so good. He wants to refresh your spirit. He wants to refill your soul. He wants to thaw out the hardness that that leads to this discouragement and the, the separation that we feel from all of this. He wants to be close and near his children. Would we lean into that refreshing? Let's just finish it up. Let's look at these last few verses. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. These days that are here now, right? You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I'm just calling this repetition, right? He's kind of like just taking one more pass, right? One more lap around the track. He's like, this is what the prophets have spoken, like all the way from Abraham. This, this covenant was given that he was going to bless his children The generations will be blessed. And he's like, this is the fulfillment. You are the offspring of Abraham. And God raised up his servant. He sent his son, Jesus, and he sent him to you first. See, Peter knows this is not going to stay in Jerusalem, right? The, 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 The command, the mission was from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. He's like, it's going out from here. All right? It's not going to stay local long. This thing is going to go out, but you have the opportunity first to turn every one of you from your wickedness to respond. He's repeating it. Why? Because we need to hear it over and over and over again. Generations have been looking forward to this day, and he is saying, listen, it has come. We have heard this before. You're hearing it again today. The question is, are you going to respond? See, I love, I love this little, this, just this little picture following this miracle. And one of the things I love about it is Peter is so led in this moment by the Spirit. I mean, think about it. He was just going to the temple to pray. Sometimes I think we, we question, like, what does it look like to abide in Christ, right? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Peter is doing that. He's going to the temple to pray. He's compelled by the Holy Spirit to, to, to speak to this man, and he ends up healing him. Jesus heals him through, through, through Peter And then, this isn't a sermon that he had like ready to go, right? He didn't have notes in his pocket. You know, he's like, oh, well, here we are. I'm gonna just, you know, kind of unpack this thing I've already written. Like he's speaking from his heart. The Spirit is speaking through him. He is being walking by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit. God is using him powerfully. And God is still at work in that same way today. And so I think as we walk in the Spirit that we might have the opportunity to share and to point others in the same way, using some of these very things. That we would point to opportunities of conviction where sin is clearly present and wreaking havoc. Would we point people toward that and allow the spirit to convict, right? Would we, would we repeat and kind of return to often this, this, this theme, this, this repetition of our need for a savior, right? And acknowledging our own wickedness in our own heart. But all of this, I think, comes from a heart that's been changed, See, more than anything, Peter was able to point to Jesus because he himself had been pointed to Jesus and he himself had responded to Jesus, right? All of these things are true in Peter's heart first. And I think the question we need to ask is, are these present in our heart today, right? Have we stopped deflecting our own sin, right? Not somebody else's sin, but it's mine, I'm, I'm the problem. I have sin in my own heart. It's my wickedness that needs a savior, right? It's not something that the world has caused me to do. It's, it's me. Sin lives within me. And have I felt conviction over that, right? Have I seen the way that I've hurt people, that I've fallen short of God's decrees and his commands and his holiness in my life, Have I been broken over that? And have I recognized that Jesus is the true king and I have not responded to him as king and Lord and savior, but then have I seen that he is welcomed and he has made a way through the blood of Jesus spilled on the cross, that there is forgiveness of sin and with contrition in my heart, repentance in my actions, that I would respond and repent, changing course, receiving his forgiveness, being made new, regenerated, my life restored, receiving from God times of refreshing, And would I come back to that over and over and over again? One of the things we like to say, I think it's Tim Keller who said it this way, is like the gospel, this isn't just the ABCs of the gospel, this is the A through Z, this is all of it, right? That we would time and time again, you don't just kind of pray a prayer once and then move on from it to never return. Would God constantly be showing us our need for our Savior? that we'd be preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over again, just as much as we're preaching it to others. This is where Peter's at. He recognizes and realizes the work that God has done in his life, his need for a savior, his acknowledgement of Jesus in his life, and then he's able to point others so, so powerfully and boldly in this same way. Would we respond with that even today? Would we be able to say, as we're gonna sing in just a minute, Lord, I need you. I need you to change me. I need you to work. And will we then be able to point others in that same place? Let's pray and respond to the Lord together. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the conviction that comes through your spirit. Lord, even today, in speaking about this great exchange that we make, God, exchanging lies for your truth, God, exchanging sin for holiness, God, exchanging the temptations, God, the um, lure of life around us for the goodness of knowing you. Lord, we see the impact and effect of that on our own heart. And so I just pray for any conviction that we would be feeling this morning, God, that we would know and respond to your faithfulness, God, your forgiveness, your loving call back to you. God, that we would know that, that you are not standing there wagging a finger at us, Lord, but you are inviting us with open arms back because of the, what Christ has done for us on the cross. Jesus, time and time again, we thank you for that. You are so good to us. God, would you refresh our souls? Would you remind us of this truth? God, would we not do anything, anything in our own strength, our own power, but would we rest fully upon you, trusting in your spirit to lead us? God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus We respond to you now. Amen.